Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning, Kesset. Thanks for being here this morning. My name is Kelly Backstrom. It's so awesome to have been asked to speak to you this morning. And for those that watch online, to be a part of Kesset Church. My wife, Samantha, and I and our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Olive, have been coming here about a year, and we just love uh, being a part of Kesed and what God's doing. Before I tell you more about who I am, I want to kind of jump into some of the things we're going to talk about this morning in the service. One of those is I have a question to find out who are you. And so on your chair, matter of fact, you'll find this card, and if you can take that card out now and begin to think through, um, in a couple of seconds, I'm going to give you some instructions and uh, have you be a part of the service this morning. Um, We're in this series called Quickening. And in this series, we've been talking about these quickening experiences and how we can recognize these moments where God brings to us these opportunities in our lives. Each week when uh, it's been introduced, I've been considering the, the, you know, have you ever had that time where you, you get a sliver in your fingernail, like up behind it, and it hits the quick, right? And that sudden jerking moment you have that gets your attention, that ouch, that hurts. Um, I kind of think of that as, the, as this opportunity, as a quickening. You know, those sudden jerking moments that get your attention, that God can say, hey, what if we did something different? And so hopefully it won't hurt as bad this morning, but I hope that somehow I can jar that in you uh, when you think about your identity and who you are. I was blessed to be here for week three of this series, and I did a kind of co-teaching with my therapist, Byron Kaler, and that was awesome. And this morning, I'm excited about what God has for us. So before I tell you who I am, I'm asking you to take that card out, and we're going to actually stop the service for a few seconds, and uh, no one's going to see this card but you, okay? So first of all, just you and God, and uh, even that, you don't have to show him if you don't want to, just keep a secret. Um, But what I'm going to ask you to do is, if I had the chance to meet you, and we were to chat, and you're like, hey, who are you? You would tell me in three to five words or sentences, or 20 if you need to fill it front and back, tell me who you are. Ready, set, go. No, really, I'm serious. Take the card and the pen and in it. I'll give you 60 seconds. Don't overthink it. You know who you are. You're the same person who walked in. Wow, 60 seconds is a long time, isn't it? Keep going. If your pen doesn't work, you've already got the answer. (laughs) A 10 second limit here, you got a 10 second countdown. Oh no, I'll never finish who I am. Okay, let's wrap it up right there. Okay, now if you didn't finish, you can take the rest of the service and finish it and and then watch it online later and find out what I was talking about. Um, Don't worry about it. Um, If you haven't started, I just prayed during that 60 seconds that you'd get the hiccups 
And so if you person next to you has hiccups because they didn't fill it out. So no, I wouldn't do that. Um, I want you to keep this card, and, and through the service, I want you to refer to it in your own heart and mind. Um, now, I was thinking about that whole process of having you fill that out, and I thought, well, what if we just had people turn around and introduce themselves to someone they don't know? Wouldn't that be awesome? And you're like, I'm so glad you didn't do that, right? The, the introverts in the crowd are like, oh, that would have been terrible. The extroverts are like, oh, I could have made new friends. That's a bummer, you know? And I'm glad you both are here. So uh, the rest of us, it's good just to have the card. The, the uh, um, element, uh, the um, whatever it's called, icon, thank you. I'm like, really? Uh, the icon is the badge. And I think that's so perfect for identity and what we're talking about today. The icon uh, this morning we'll be using is the badge. Because what is it that we wear proudly to say who we are? Now, I understand with identity, not everything we wear is proudly. Some of the things that we identify ourselves with, some of the things you may have written on the card, or maybe you didn't write on the card, but if, if you really were being sincere, you, you would have, are things you're ashamed of. Things that either you did that you're sorry about that you've identified yourself to. Things that somebody else did to you that you carried with you every day of your life, even to today. Things in our badge that we are proud of, things that we've been through. And these are the things that describe who we are, at least in our own minds. Um, my goal for this week's talk is not necessarily to shake your world and have you go home and be, that's the best, most applicable sermon I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, I'd love that, but it's most likely not going to change your day or probably even your week or even the month of August. But if you can take this, and if this works out the way I'm, I'm hoping that God would lead it, you will leave here maybe with the back of the card, an empty slate, with a chance to start to the process of understanding your identity, understanding not what, just who you came in as, but who God would have you to be. And so I'm hoping that through this um, I believe in my heart, I've been through this for the last uh, really over five years, um, but um, this could be one of the most significant, if not the most significant steps in your journey, no matter where you're at. And I know that's a huge statement. I'm usually an under-promise, over-deliver kind of guy, like let's give them something they can go home with and that'll be awesome, they'll love me and I'll love them and we can shout and praise Jesus. But today I feel like this is a deeper uh, process that you're starting if you take the challenge and if God uses us the way I think he will. Uh, that's a big buildup, so I think what we should do is call him for reinforcements and let God come in and help us through this. So let's pray. Father God, we, you know we all come in here and you know our hearts and you know our lives and you know the baggage we bring. You know the things we wrote on the card and perhaps the things that truly identify us that we may not have even written. And God, whatever we came in with, I pray that we would leave it here with you. I pray that you will give us the ability to uh, not only start the process, but work through the process of understanding not just who we are, uh, but who you created us to be and how you see us, Lord. Help rebuild our thoughts and hearts uh, in, in our identity. God, I pray you use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, the badge, what we wear to say who we are. Um, a couple weeks ago, after the service, I was talking to a couple that I met, and the guy and I were kind of connecting, and he was sharing with me uh, what he used to do, and I was sharing with him what I used to do. And you know, um, he said to me, he said, Kelly, 
it's really hard, and he says, you know, as a man, we tend to identify with what we do. And I don't do that anymore. I'm not, that, I'm, not, I'm not in that role anymore. And it's like a certain part of me is lost. And I don't think you have to be a man to understand that. I think all of us can to some degree. I know as a man, I, I can speak for myself that that's a big part of my process and my journey. It's so easy to tie ourselves to something we do. I mean, we, tell our, we ask our kids from a young age, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm, I'm hoping that we can teach our daughter, uh, Olive is her name, to say me, I'm going to be me, <laughs> because that's enough. But in our minds and our hearts, we're constantly kind of putting the pressure on what are you going to be when you grow up, or what are you? And we tie it to what we do, or what we've been through, or what's happened to us. Um, so I, I, I really related with that person, who, who, the guy that told me, you know, I, I connected to what I did, and now I no longer do that. So here's me, here's who I am, if you will. If you'd asked me five years ago to fill out the card, I would have said I'm a pastor uh, for almost 20 years. I'm, I'm now a realtor, so maybe I should change it, right? I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a provider, I'm loyal, that's important to me inside. I'm the youngest of eight children, I have six older sisters. Um, God bless me, right? <laughs> I've always been like a results-oriented person. I, I, I really I get my value. I've always gotten my identity by what I can accomplish. I would have said I'm introverted, maybe even shy growing up as a kid, and I'm a ninth-grade dropout. That, if you had asked me five years ago, would have been what defined me. And I don't mean just a list of things I would say. It was actually where I got my self-worth. Even the bad part of those things drove me to become who I was. It's where I found my value. It was me. And I'm not saying that any of these are wrong in themselves. It's not wrong to say I'm a dad. It's not wrong to say I'm a mom. But it is a concern when we build our identity, our worth, our value in being a dad. Because then it's only when it's doing good, when being a dad's working, when your kids are responding, when you're in the right relationship, then it's all awesome. But when you lose that, you lose yourself. And that can be your job, that can be things you've been through, the things you tie yourself to that aren't necessarily who God made you. A lot of times we see that in occupations we choose, or sometimes we might even say occupations that choose us. Sometimes people who are in the, the, like firefighters or police officers or nurses, doctors, even um, pastors, if you will, who become something because of what they've been through. To a certain degree, we're carrying the, the damage, the hurt, the struggles we've been through as children, and we're saying, how can I somehow bring value out of that, that, that darkness? And it becomes a part of who we are in our identity. I want to walk through how we define ourselves and how God defines us. I hope you'll see there's such a difference um, for all of us. And I, and I think this is not one of those uh, services that are for a certain age group. No matter how old you are, let me get your attention. You're not too old to discover where you get your self-worth and perhaps make a change and understand what God sees you as no matter how old you are. And no matter how young you are, if you're 10, 12 years old and you're sitting here today, what a great time to learn who you are in God's eyes and to not build a life around a false identity or a false self, but who God wants you to be. Um, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be following the life of Elijah here this morning, but we're going to stop and make a couple of detours, and I want to start off in the beginning where God created mankind. How did God create you? Because it doesn't matter who you think you are and who I think you are. Who does the creator of the world, 
think you are. In, in verse 26 and verse 27 of chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image to be like us. Let them be masters over the fish and the ocean, the birds that fly, the livestock, everything that crawls on the earth and over the earth itself. So God created mankind in his image. In his image, God created them. He created them male and female. God created you. God um, created you in his image. You know, it's difficult for us to comprehend. This miraculous, all-powerful, all-knowing, magnificent God created you to be more like him than you're not. And his image means you're, you're very similar. If people said, oh, you look like God. That's not how we see ourselves, is it? Somebody said this. They said, God made us in his image. Our problem is we tend to turn that around and make God in our image. You see, we've lowered the bar to who God made you. We, we try to, to humanize God and, 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 take and make excuses for why we don't feel like we're just like him, just like our father, our heavenly father. <clears throat> you know, it can be difficult to grasp in our life experiences that we've been through because I think our life experiences adjust our identity or our identity adjusts to those experiences. We, we tend to reinvent ourselves or change who we really should be based on what we've been through. Um, Elijah, we're going to talk about, is an Old Testament prophet. I guess you could call him a quote-unquote man of God, a miracle worker. And uh, he, his job was to speak for God, to speak the words God wanted him to speak. And I want you to remember some of those titles as we get through the talk this morning. But as a prophet, God told him, there's going to be a drought. And God uh, per, uh, intentionally told him, I, I want you to announce this drought and, uh, to the people of Israel so they can understand what's coming. And so that was his job. He broke the news. In 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll be going through 1 Kings 17, 18, and part of uh, chapter 19, uh, we pick it up there in verse 2. It says, later, after the drought was announced, this message came to Elijah from the Lord. He said, leave here and go into hiding at the brook Kareth, where it enters the Jordan River. You'll be able to drink from that brook, and I've commanded some crows to sustain you there. <laughs> oh, thanks, God. <laughs> Appreciate that, right? Isn't that awesome? I'm going to be eating because crows are going to feed me. That's going to ha how he's going to survive. Now, Elijah has a better attitude than I do, obviously, because he doesn't say anything there besides he moves forward with it, with it but um, I, I, he didn't ask for a raise. He didn't complain. He didn't go on strike. He just said, okay, that's what God wants. And I think that's the thing to understand about our false identity, as I might call it. We tend to adapt to our circumstances. We tend to adjust and lower who we are based on what we're going through. Look at verse 5. So Elijah left and did exactly what the Lord had told him to do. He went to live near the brook Kareth, where it enters the Jordan River. Crows would bring him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. That sounds like a great life, doesn't it? Just, they're bringing you the food, and you're just eating it and drinking. And then verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. I think if we were being honest, it would be a big amen right there, right? You did exactly what the Lord told you to do, and you find in your life the brook dries up. Have you ever been that place in your life where you think you're doing what God told you to do, and something changes, the brook dries up? 
It could be like that in your job. You were doing exactly what you're supposed to do, and then one day, you no longer had that job. It changed. It could be like that in your family, maybe even your marriage, the brook dries up. In your finances, they dry up, or your health. Sadly, I think even in our church experience, one day you're doing what God wants you to do, and you feel like you're just at the right place, and then all of a sudden, the brook dries up. You know, in our lives, we're gonna experience those times where the brook dries up, but that doesn't define who you are. That doesn't change your identity according to God, according to the person that he made you to be. When the brook dries up, you're still the person God intended you to be. Um, A little bit later after this, Elijah is um, called by God to go to the next step. He's still during the drought, and after the brook dries up, God says, go to this certain uh, town, and when you get there, there's gonna be a widow and that widow's gonna feed you and give you, uh, help you sustain you through the rest of the drought. Now, that might have been a bigger problem than even the, um, the, the crows feeding him. Because a widow in those days would have been by far the poorest person around. Been a drought for several years, people are dying, they have no food, no water, and God says, oh, I, I'll rescue you with a, with a widow, go find her. And sure enough, that's what happens. Uh, Elijah walks into the town and he spots this widow And immediately he says, God sent me here to tell you to get me some water. And she's like, wow, okay. And she literally turns around and begins to go do what he asked him to do. And as she's walking away, Elijah says, oh, and can I have that bread you have in your hand? Her response, I'm just going to read it because I think that it's more interesting to see how she responds than, than how we might understand As the Lord, she says in verse 12, as the Lord your God lives, your God, she says, (laughs) um, I don't have so much as a muffin. I have just a handful of flour in a bowl and some oil left in a bottle. And now I'm gonna find some sticks so I can go cook my last meal for my son and me, and then we're gonna eat it and die. But here, you can have it. (laughs) I mean, she didn't say that. That was me adding that in, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, for most of us, I think we'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. Just forget I said a word, right? And then tell God you couldn't find her or something, right? I'm not going to take the last supper from this lady and her and her son are going to die. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. But Elijah, following God's word, said, I want you to know that God said, I'll take care of you. You don't have to fear anymore. You won't have to worry about bread. You won't have to worry about oil. It will not run out for the rest of this drought. God will provide for you. Um, Let's look at again her response, verse 15. Verse 15, so she went out and did precisely what Elijah told her to do. As a result, Elijah, the widow, and her son were fed for many days. The jar of flour never ran out, and the bottle of oil never became empty, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. I mean, what a beautiful uh, picture here, if you will. They, uh, uh, she followed Elijah, just as he did God, precisely did what he called her to do. And every morning she would get up and, and, and there was flour in the, in the jar. She'd go to bed at night and the oil would be gone and wake up in the morning and it would be refilled all by itself. God was miraculously providing for them and he did. It was a beautiful picture while it worked. And throughout the drought, they had food. But one day, things changed. (laughs) You know, I think when we look at Elijah and and this widow also, there's a great lesson of sincerity. 
They both have done exactly what God told them to do to the best of their ability. But it's one thing to be obedient when you expect to be blessed, right? It's another thing to be who you're supposed to be when things don't come back the way you want them to come back. I mean, it's like if you're a people pleaser, you please so that people will be happy with you. It's not very good being a people pleaser when it doesn't please other people. You see, in this case, they were expecting a result. As long as the result came back positive, she was doing the best she could do to follow God's will. A little bit later, sadly, the widow's son dies. Doesn't say he starved to death. God provided food, but he died of something else. And she was very angry. She became very angry. As a matter of fact, she, she addresses Elijah and says, hey, I want a refund. This isn't what you promised. And look at verse 18. This is the widow's response now when things aren't going the way she thought. What do we have in common, you quote-unquote man of God? <laughs> now she's using it against him, right? She accused Elijah. You did come here just so you could uncover my guilt, and you're responsible for the death of my son. Well, that's a heavy response. But she's angry. Why would this prophet come and then my son would die? I think to some degree it's easier to relate to this person than it was the one who faithfully gave her last food to this prophet, right? We, we understand when things don't go right. A loyal person um, expects people to be loyal back, and, and we see why she'd be angry. And once again, Elijah steps into his role as this prophet miracle maker, and, and he steps in, and he literally takes the son and carries him into the other room and prays over him and says, God, you're the God of all creation, bring life back into this boy. And miraculously, God restores this young man's life. He comes back out. Hey, mom, how's it going? And Elijah and him walk in there. And look at verse 24. The woman responded to Elijah. Now at last, I've really learned you are a man of God. Once again, the title is thrown out there because the response is what she wanted. And that you have, and what you say about the Lord is truth. Let me caution you about titles. Titles that we identify ourselves by or identify other people by. I love the, the authenticity that Danny shares weekly, but specifically about being a pastor. So many times he says, you know, uh, uh, people want to lift us up higher than we really are. As a pastor, he says, uh, people think that I somehow have a, a closer walk with God or that somehow I'm more spiritual than you are. I'm just a normal person, but I do this for a living. There's a big difference. What we think is that somehow that that, that pastor, that person has the title must be at a better place than we are, when the fact is no one can be closer to God than you can. You can be as close to God as any other person who has ever lived in the history of the world. Titles like dad, mom, realtor, people pleaser, results-oriented person, shy, introvert, extrovert. And we tend to put these titles on ourselves, or maybe other people have put them on us, and we're limited now for what God can do. You see, God really did a good job on making you who he wanted you to be. I want you to, to look at a, a scripture here in the book of Isaiah. Now, if you, if you have a pen there, uh, write the scripture down, because you're going to want it later, like the rest of your life. <laughs> this is a, like, I'm going to remember this and put it on my, my mirror or whatever it is. Um, Isaiah chapter 49, look at verse 1. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by my name. God knew your name before your parents did. 
Isn't that beautiful? God knew your name, and he called you by your name before you were born. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. Listen to this. He's hidden me in the shadow of his hand. Before you were born, he was protecting you. I'm like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, and you will bring me glory. God sees glory in you. The glory of God is that he created you. He looks at you, every one of us, no matter what we've been through, no matter what's happened to us, no matter what we've done, good or bad, God looked at you from the beginning and said, you bring glory to me, that's why you're here. This next passage here of verses I want you to look at, and, and for some of us, you'll understand the beauty, others it may even be difficult, but it'll make sense later. It says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she's born? But even if that were possible, God says, I would never forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. It's a beautiful picture. God has tattoos <laughs> of your name on his hands. Every one of us. It says, I've written, I've engraved. He's actually engraved it. As in the other versions of the Bible, it says, the name, your name in the palms of my hands. That's how important your identity is to God. That's how important you are for who you are, that God created you. Well, I want to go back to our story. Keep that thought. Keep those verses. Don't lose what side of those. In 1 Kings 18, we have this amazing part of the story where Elijah has the showdown at the OK Corral. It's actually even bigger than that, if you can. Um, the, the drought is still in effect. It's been about three years since the widow took him in and began providing for him. And um, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel are, have killed all of the prophets of God that they could find. And the few that are still alive are hiding in caves and barely surviving, waiting for God to do something. Elijah's the last prophet that's not hiding for his life or, or, or that has lost his life. And God tells him to go meet with King Ahab. <laughs> Wait a minute, you mean the, 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 the guy that's killing all the prophets, right? And, uh, and so Elijah goes to meet with Ahab and he calls him out for leading his people to follow a false god. He, uh, they were following the God of Baal, and Baal was the God of fertility, and he was also called the, the Lord of rain and dew. So there was this drought, and during a drought, they needed some way for the rains to come, and so uh, Ahab said, we're all going to worship Baal so that the rains will come and, and we'll, be, we'll survive. Now, I want to stop you for a minute, and I want you to see what, and, and take note what happens when we lose sight of who God made you. When we look at our circumstances and our current life experiences and we start to put ourselves together as a result of what life has thrown at us instead of who God made us, we begin to create a false self or false gods in our life, just like Ahab. Ahab, the big bad king and his wife Jezebel, who, who were having people uh, follow uh, Baal, this false god, is more similar to us than we can imagine. He had a void, there was no rain, and so he created a God and told people you have to follow this God. And I think we have voids in our lives that we've created our identities around, and we've built our life around a false identity. That's not who God made you. <clears throat> so, chapter 18, okay, we're at verse 21. Elijah has the showdown with Ahab and his quote-unquote, prophets. He has these 450 prophets of Baal. And this is where uh, 
Elijah calls them out in verse, eight, verse 21 of chapter 18. He approached the people and he asked them this question. How long will you keep hesitating between both sides? If the Lord is God, go after him. And if Baal is God, go after him. And maybe that's a great point for us to stop. You came here this morning, I'm assuming that most of us are in process or following after God, somewhat. And and, in Elijah's words were, if God is God, then let him create your identity. Let him decide who you are. And if you're God, just forget what he tells you and become whatever you want. What do you want to be when you grow up? My challenge for you, even though it's difficult, is to look at that card, not what you wrote, but maybe on the backside. What's not there? What did God create you to be? Not what have you become, not how you describe yourself today, but what would God describe you as? Well, Elijah's meeting with these these 400 prophets of Baal, and here's his, his challenge. He said, if your God's real, then let him prove it. So take two oxen, you choose one, you eat the other, and we'll make an offering to our gods. And you lay down, uh, cut up your oxen, put it on top of the offering, the wood and the you know, stones, build your own fire pit, and I'll have mine over here, but don't put anything to it, don't light it. So they both created their fire pits and their offering, and he said, okay, you go first, the 450 prophets of Baal, you go make your God consume that. So you just tell God to burn it up and I'll do it after you're done. And so the 450 prophets of Baal circle around and start singing and dancing and chanting and cutting themselves and screaming for God to ignite their their God, uh, God of Baal, to ignite the fire, and nothing happens. For hours and hours, they're they're, they're raving and and cutting themselves and and begging their God to save their lives, and nothing happens. Elijah has a little bit of ego, I think, because after a while he begins to tell them things that, uh, and tease them, it says. He said, um, maybe you should shout louder. He doesn't hear you. Um, he's a god. Maybe he's busy. This is Elijah's words. Maybe he's relieving himself. <laughs> maybe he's busy someplace else. Or maybe he's taking a nap and somebody needs to wake him up. That made the prophets of Baal even more angry, and they, just, they, they were literally cutting themselves and bleeding out trying to get their God to respond, and of course, nothing happened. Elijah steps up to the scene, the others sit down, and there's silence as he instructs his servants to pour water over top of his offering, and they pour water all over it. He says, do it again, and they pour water over a second time, and then finally, it's a third time, there's water everywhere covering the, the, the offering, the wood, there's a trench literally around it that's totally filled with water, and Elijah gets down, and he begs God to answer him and to show the people, you are God, and when he does that, it ignites, and it consumes not just the offering, but the wood and the stones and the dirt and the water, it consumes it all, and people are on their faces before the real God. You are God. When we begin to see who God is and who he created us to be, I think we experience that miraculous um, moment, that quickening, if you will, that can show you your true purpose and potential in him when you allow him to make you who he made you to be. But when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of who he made us because of what we've been through and the things we've experienced, we lose sight of our potential in our identity. 
Elijah was a prophet, but he was a man of God, a man of God, but he was just normal like you and me. He was a person. He was frail. He had doubts and fears and self-worth issues, I'm sure. As a matter of fact, um, the last part of the story, I'll share one with you that we see in his story. Shortly after this miraculous occasion, King Ahab went home, and he talked to his wife Jezebel. It says, the Bible says he complained about all the things that uh, Elijah had done. And, and Jezebel says to him, listen, King Ahab, I want you to know I'm going to put a, a bounty out for Eliza's head. If tomorrow at this time he's not dead, I pray God kills me, and, and uh, I want to see Elijah dead. Um, in um, verse 3, we see Elijah's response. Again, so far, we see Elijah, the miracle worker, the man of trust in God, right? He's walking along the brook. He's allowing the crows to feed him and the widow, and this, this he restores the life of this young kid, and then the big showdown. And now he hears that Jezebel wants him dead, and this is his response. Elijah was terrified, so he got up, and he ran for his life. He ran for a day's journey deep into the wilderness. He found a juniper tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he would die. He asked God, enough, Lord, take my life. Isn't that interesting? The man of God is human. The man of God is frail. The man of God lives in the same fears that you and I do when we have an identity crisis. His identity before was tied into what he was doing, apparently, because when things were good, he was brave. He went to Ahab. He stood before the 450 prophets of Baal. He saw God do amazing things. But when things weren't going the way he wanted, we see his true struggle, just like you and I. Folks, when you and I are not living our true selves, there's not enough great we can do that'll cover for us. There's not enough results you can accomplish Frankly, there's nothing that can cover us for when we aren't who we're supposed to be, when we're not allowing God to lead us the way he wants to and make us who he created us to be. Elijah's in this pity party, and he's saying, I need to hear from you, God. Actually, he's saying, I just really want to die. I didn't want to hear anything else. And God comes to him, and he says, listen. Look here, verse, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 11. Go out, he tells Elijah, Excuse me, my notes just disappeared. That's a problem. They're back. Go out, he responded. Stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, and, and there the Lord will be passing by. Check this out. He, God tells Elijah, a tremendous mighty windstorm was tearing at the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces in the presence of the Lord, but the Lord was not in the windstorm. After the wind, there came an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So many of us are looking for something big to hear God from. We're looking for an earthquake because that's what we're used to when our life is shaken, then we seek God. We're looking for a fire because when the fire happens, then we're like, okay, God, now I need you. Or we're looking for a windstorm. But look here. And... <clears throat> there was the Lord, the sound of a gentle whisper. Verse, uh, <clears throat> the next verse. As soon as Elijah heard it, he covered his face in his mantle, went outside and stood at the entrance of the cave, and there a voice spoke to him. If you want God to show you who you are, 
you have to stop being who you want to be, who you've fallen into or been told you are. And it's going to be a process, maybe a slow process, where you stop and say, God, I'm open and I want to know who you made me. I want to understand why you created me and, and what that's supposed to look like. And that still small voice will be there through time. I want to share a beautiful story that God brought to me at a coffee shop recently where I hang out and a fellow Kessid tender was there and we just kind of see each every once in a while and share about what God was doing and what the services were meaning to us and her name's Linda and she gave me permission to share the story. Linda at about the age of 70 had been working through some of these very same identity issues but hers was a little different in the fact that she had been adopted out when she was one or two years old. She didn't know anything about her birth parents, but her, real, her, her adopted dad died when she was about four, and her adopted mother was very abusive. She grew up in this abusive life, and she wrapped her identity around those things. It led her to become a people pleaser because of what she had been through, and maybe somewhat of a perfectionist. For many years, she was stuck and thought that's who she's supposed to be. But some time ago, after listening to a sermon, the pastor she had heard spoke and said, why don't you pray or consider praying for God to lead you into all truth? But then he cautioned, be careful because that doesn't always lead us where we think it will. Well, she prayed that prayer, God, lead me into all truth. And shortly after that, Linda just randomly decided to do a DNA test. Because at 70 years old, she didn't know what her, her background was or genealogy was and thought it'd be kind of fun to find out what my nationality would have been and just look at that and she had zero idea and so she did the DNA test and she didn't know it but shortly after she did the test she started getting these messages and notifications of family members that she had that she didn't know she had and one by one she saw them and finally one of them said it was a first cousin and something made her reach out to this other lady that was her first cousin and she did, and, and the cousin responded, and then through the course of discussion, she found out her birth parents and family, what it was like. When Linda came to tell me this story, it was amazing because she said, Kelly, I found out my name wasn't Linda, it was Margaret. And they used to call me little Maggie. She said, I never needed to find out the rest of my family, that's all I needed to hear. You see, she realized she was not that abused girl. She was not the girl that was abandoned, that didn't care for. She was little Maggie. And as she told me this, it was a 70-year-old, like a little girl. She was so happy and joyful because she found out she's not what she thought she was. And this morning, I want to challenge you to open up to find out who God made you. What does he intend for you to be? She said this, it was the only way God could lift me out of that past experience, which was my living reality, and set me free to find my identity in Him. I now view the past from the outside rather than the all-consuming inside, grounded in Him and His greater reality. I shared with you my, who am I? These things that I identified myself as with all my life and up until the last few years and some deep work I've been doing to find out that's not me. These things are a part of my life, but they are not who I am. Who am, who am I? <laughs> I'm on the blank side. God has shown me little by little that I'm not what I thought I was, but I'm what he created me to be. 
Somebody said that while you're doing the work of discovering who you are, if after stripping away everything else, if you still have something on your list, it means you're not finished yet. You need to go back and do more work. So here's my question. If you have a list, what on that list do you feel tied to, that somehow you feel like that's who you are? And what would it mean if that was removed from you? One by one, God's removed these things from me that I tied myself to before. And I can tell you, just like little Maggie, it sets you free. And when the sun, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Our Father God, Lord, we thank you for your love and compassion. Lord, that we come in here broken people who have been through experiences and things that we thought defined who we were. Some of those are failures. Some of those are struggles and, and deep, dark things. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would free us from it. Some of them are good things, but God, they're not who we are. It's something that we do. Lord, help us to find our identity in you, to be those people that you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth care to know my name, care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow. A wave tossed in the ocean, vapor in the Hear me when I'm calling Lord, you catch me when I'm falling And you told me who I am Look on me with love and watch me rise again. Oh, who am I that the force that calmed the sea call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of who I am, but because.
told me, Lord, you told me who I am.